Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Denny, Hot Toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, as we adapt the best we can to pandemic living and quarantine life. And we try to record some episodes via Zoom. And uh, we tried to do this last week. Uh, we don't know what order these shows are going to come out. That'll be up to the professor, but. We had some technical difficulties, so uh, we thank you for sticking with us. Maybe you'll hear that episode before or after this. I don't know. Um, but here we are, back again on Zoom, and just hoping and praying that the internet holds out for all of us. So uh, we've got a new franchise to visit this evening. It's not a new franchise. It's a couple of old movies and a remake. But it is the When a Stranger Calls series. Um, I'll just start and say this is the first time I've seen any of these films. Uh, Professor? Um, I'd seen all these before. The original and then the sequel, I've seen numerous times. Uh, In particular, the sequel was a big deal in my household when I was younger when it came out. Um, And then the, the remake. Well, I was just pretty indifferent on, but um, I think it'll be interesting to discuss kind of its its place uh, for when it came out and its importance, but also how that's kind of drifting away with time a little bit. Yeah. Venomous one. Uh, first time I had seen any of them. However, I know that I've been aware of the first one at least because I remember seeing Carol Kane on the, the advertising for it probably at video stores when I was a kid, but I had never watched it before now, none of them. Okay. Toddy. Um, I don't remember the first time I watched the original, but um, I think I discovered it in the video store and wasn't familiar with it, uh, but I was familiar with the story of the babysitter, so I um, was excited to rent it, and I watched it with my friend, and uh, it scared the bejesus out of us. And then... Uh, a few years later, um, we found out a sequel was getting ready to come out, um, airing on Showtime. So uh, I kind of watched that, I think maybe the premiere that when it came on TV. And then the, the remake I saw as it came out in the theater. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we start at the beginning, the logical position. Todd, take us away with dates and details. Let me clear my throat. Sorry. <laughs> Toddy with the Frisch's Big Boy. <laughs> Tonight's brought to you bar and pie. Big Boy. Uh, when a Stranger Calls, 1979. Uh, directed by Fred Walton. 
and starring Carol Kane and Charles Durning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Short Carol Kane, really quickly, I uh, every time I see her, I go, "Oh, it's the ghost of Christmas present." <laughs> Scrooge reference there, but then recent. So I just finished um, Hunters on Amazon, which is the show about the Nazi hunters. And she's in that, and she's phenomenal in that. And then I just watched The Sisters Brothers, which is a, a newer Western, and she <laughs> pops up in that. And I thought, well, Carol Kane is just everywhere for me this week. So I like her as an actress. She's really Sister good. Brothers isn't a new um, uh, Sister Wives show? <laughs> <laughs> new incest show? Uh, oh, boy. Okay, Jimmy. so... Go For me, ahead. I always remembered Carol Kane from Lodka's Girlfriend on Taxi. Same. Is where I remember seeing her as a kid. Uh, Princess Bride, Adam's Family movie. Oh yeah, and, and uh, License to Drive. I was a huge fan of License to Drive, and she played Corey Haynes' mom in that movie. And of course, Scrooge and all that. But she—that's why I did not expect her to be in this type of movie. Because of the things I was already familiar with her with. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting, too, because her career clearly has kind of placed her in these quirky roles. And this is one of the few times where she just gets to do some straight, serious chops. And I think yeah. she succeeds at it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that she's made a um, comeback, because uh, other than what Abner just said about the uh, incest show, she was also uh, Robin's mom in uh, Gotham. Oh, interesting. You guys are actually listening to a very important moment in Midwest Monsters history. This is where we transition into a Carol Kane podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're, trying to get, we're trying to get ahead of the curve. We want to be the first Carol Kane podcast. That's right. <laughs> I can dig it. Uh, there's already three. Ah, darn it. One's called Carol. <laughs> King of Kane. Hey, uh, how's the onion rings? <laughs> These are delicious. I'm gonna tell you how fast I ate that big boy was that I had to turn the camera so you couldn't see. <laughs> it's like in V when they were eating the root. <laughs> All right, so what a stranger calls. Uh, I would have let it air if it was the Anaconda episode. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Okay. Let's get this thing back on the track. I'd say I've got places to go, but we know that's not true. <laughs> so, uh, When a Stranger Calls, uh, interesting because the plot synopsis, we always have this idea in our head of what the plot of When a Stranger Calls is, at least for me, being a first-time walker. And it's actually what the remake is. The remake is what you thought what the original would be. And yeah. so, yes. You just yes. think that this is going to be a film about a girl babysitting in a house, and that's the whole film. When in reality, it's only the first, what, 20 minutes? Yeah, which is, yeah, that's exactly what my thought always was, was after that first 20 minutes was over, I was like, oh, oh, we're done already with this? Like, <laughs> I, I fully expected it to be the entire movie set in the, the house that she was babysitting in. But pleasant surprise. It, it took away that predictability that I had already told myself was going to be there. Yeah. So the basic. I think, of, go ahead. Go ahead, Dottie. I was going to say I think the, I think the reason they did the begin not the reason but uh, 
I think the way the movie held up is this came out after Halloween. Had the movie been the whole uh, opening, the whole movie, it might not have stood uh, the test. The I don't know. We probably wouldn't be talking about it now. Yeah, like the remake. Um, I guess the basic setup is it starts out, this girl is babysitting, and she starts getting obscene phone calls. The now stereotypical check the children, have you checked the children sort of phone calls. Um, And right off the bat, uh, this movie's got a great soundtrack. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy this film. Um, But, and then it's, it's the famous... The calls are coming from inside the house, right? So we're not spoiling anything because, as we said, that's the first 20 minutes. And so, you son of a bitch for spoiling a movie from 1979. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, we're past 100, episode 160. All we do is spoil movies. They better go lie down. <laughs> so, what happens? So, we go from that basic, what's now cliche sort of idea into the future and what happens. And so um, the guy goes to a site, he goes to an asylum, he escapes the asylum. He, uh, he stalks a woman. um, And then ultimately he finds his way back to the old sitter. And so that's, I'll, I'll leave it there for now till we get to that big finale where he finds the old sitter. So what do you guys think about the plot? What do you think about things in the film that stood out to you? Um, well, one thing that I, I think right off the bat is interesting is that I think Scream pulled a lot um, from the opening of this. I, and I think that the opening as well as the final act in this film are so effective that that is how we remember this film. When in reality, and I'm just going to say it right up front, I think the middle of this film is pretty clunky. I think that they are a little all over the uh, all over the place to be perfectly honest with it. Oh, yeah. um, and I think that they could have made it a little bit more engaging, uh, which uh, to the director's credit, I think he does in the second one. Um, it was, it was more cop drama than I expected. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it the only thing that saves that middle act is the cast. Um, obviously Durning's great. Colleen Dewhurst, who I think, the most recent thing we would have discussed her on was the dead zone. She's the mom of the killer in that. So she was always a kind of a seasoned character actor. So I think that she's good in that. Um, but one thing that I think is interesting is that this is doing the same thing that black Christmas did, but audiences would not have been well versed with black Christmas at that point. I think black Christmas hit more of a boom in the U S with HBO about a year later as a Canadian film. And I don't really think it was a smash hit here in the States. So that concept would have been more effective, I think for American audiences. Um, and I think that when we watch it, you know, 40 plus years later, we instantly go, Oh yeah, that's what they did in black Christmas. But I think audiences would have been more caught off guard by that then. And it's a, obviously babysitter in the house with somebody up on another floor. That's kind of, you know, folklore at this point that I I think people were kind of already appetized for. Surely it had to be an urban legend before the film was made, I would guess. Yeah, I would think so. It was, but don't call me Shirley. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I actually agree with everything Wilson just said. Um, I think uh, when I would watch this movie as a kid a lot, I think we might have skipped the middle a little bit. Um, 
But I think it's got one of the best opening and endings to any movie that the middle can kind of get away with being boring. Sure. I, 12 minutes in from her getting these calls, I'm like, it's a valid question. Why haven't you checked on the children? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was taken so, aback that he killed the kids. Yeah. And then we find it. out that the whole time we've watched that segment, they were already killed. Right. They, they estimate that he did that while the parents were still there and leaving. It was a... So, uh, that's a ballsy move in the beginning of a movie to kill ch two children. It, well, yeah. not just kill them. When they asked where the weapon was, they were like, oh, he used his hands. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, it, I mean, especially for then. I mean, that, that's, that's some pretty serious shit for a motion picture. Yeah. Well, it, over the years, my dad's pointed out that he thinks he would have went and checked the children and my response to that always is then the movie would be called when a stranger called because you just get the call and go okay and then you go up and get killed <laughs> i did one of my favorite things of the of the movie was uh laughing like papio dan was going to catch that guy in a foot race <laughs> <laughs> papio that, that cracked me up when he was running after the guy <laughs> now you want to know what made me laugh is when he escapes from the asylum and he goes to that bar and he promptly gets his ass whooped. <laughs> oh yeah, whooped. <laughs> yeah, gets his I'll, ass beat. I like how weirdly uh, seedy this movie is. Like again, the 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 end caps to the film feel a little bit different, but uh, it almost feels like the the nasty, gritty New York that. Uh, I don't even know where this movie's supposed to take place, but like everything was just gritty when he's uh back on screen. Yeah. Yeah, they almost they almost to... made the killer a little bit uh you almost felt bad for him in that scene where he's getting his ass beat. Like they kind of made him sympathetic during that part. And yeah. they're like, Oh no, wait, he killed two kids with his bare hands. Nah. He was also uh didn't know what the word no meant, so I did like Colleen Dewhurst's response to his match while he's standing there letting it damn near burn his fingers. And she just gets out her own lighter. <laughs> I like Hail when he's looking for him at the, uh, at the shelter and he's just got a flashlight and a knife. <laughs> yeah. That's he's how like, I travel. He's like, shine, stab, shine, stab. <laughs> got a Stay yearning. Strapped. Stay strapped and get clapped, boys. <laughs> Many for that thing with uh, the detective, aka Pappy O'Dan, and chasing him. Uh, my notes say it was a cartoon chase. <laughs> so it's like people, whoa, guy coming out in front of me. Oh, there's a banana peel. Oh, oh how many takes do you think that they took so that they could give Pappy O'Dan oxygen? <laughs> like they let him run five feet, cut. And they give him oxygen. All right, start her back up. And then he runs around another corner. They cut. According to IMDb, they had a uh, thing that said Acme that they they went through so many of them that they couldn't get a good take and didn't put it in the film. <laughs> I was curious if any of the homeless people were hurt during the filming of this film. Since he was throwing homeless people at them, too. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> so, uh... Bringing it all home here, uh, he, he finds the babysitter. 
Um, remind me, how did he find her? It's not in my notes. She won like an award or. Yeah. Yeah. See what happens when you're, uh, you achieve things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was in the newspaper. Yeah, that's right. And he found like the newspaper on the street, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like oh, Jesus uh, wanted it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that is one interpretation, yes. The hell were in those onion rings. <laughs> <laughs> Diabetes. So, uh, so he finds her he finds her house and he goes and he gets in bed with her. Yeah. Tot. Who hadn't been there though? And then That is a pants shitting moment though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You reveal him in the bed. Jesus. Well, he also skipped over the restaurant where she gets the phone call in the restaurant asking her if she checked her children. Yeah. Yeah. That'll ruin the night. Oh, yeah. You know yeah, what? Vinny. We don't want the crab cakes, buddy. Take them back. We got to go. Vinny, <laughs> <laughs> you've got kids. You ever get that call at the restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> can't, say, can't say that I do. Yeah. Can't say that I do. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Called you while you were at Savage's Ale House. <laughs> oh Lord! So uh, then he gets shot. Yeah, I, uh, I think the only thing that could have made this movie better if uh, Carol Kane would have used that that voice she developed for a lot of her uh, comedy roles. Yeah. So. <laughs> I was hoping it would turn into a romance thing where they talk about you know typically in trailers what what you've needed and been looking for has been in front of you all along. <laughs> I really missed an opportunity there. Well, I remember as I watched this, I was like in the middle of the movie, I was scratching my head and I was like, well, I thought Carol Kane would have been in this movie a lot more. Of course I hadn't gotten to the end where she shows up again, but I was like, wow, they kind of gave me a Drew Barrymore screen thing with this where I thought she was going to be in a lot more. She was heavily advertised, but of course she ends up showing back up again. Yeah. Yeah. Anything more you guys want to say about the first film? Uh, just one thing before we move on I want to mention is uh, the first night uh, that I lived on my own when I moved into a townhome there after college, um, I set up a new surround sound system. <laughs> and for whatever reason, this was the movie that I chose to watch. And it scared the dog <laughs> shit out of me because that last segment where you're hearing him talk it was playing behind my couch with speakers I wasn't used to yet. And I wasn't used to where I was living yet. And so it actually sounded like a human being was back there. And I remember thinking, you <laughs> idiot, why did you put this on? And then they show his old crazy ass eyes roll over in bed. And I about, I about screamed like a woman. <laughs> now, was that the same night you saw some lights that looked like a ghost going up the stairway? Same week. That was a rough first week. Things settled down, though. <laughs> tell them tell what you said when, when you saw something that looked like a ghost going up your stairway. I think I remember laying there looking at it and then looking up in the ceiling and going, I'm about to fucking move. <laughs> <laughs> I still never figured out what it was. Uh, usually you, you get used to a, uh, an area and lights reflect off things and there's a logical explanation. There never was. It was just that first week. It was very weird. Uh, I love that part of the story. I'm going to have to fucking move. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Todd just quit the podcast. <laughs> I'm done. 
Well, I'd say if you ain't seen this movie, check it out. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know that I'll rewatch it, dead honest. I don't know if you've got a yearning. It's not a bad movie. If you've got a I yearning a for the durning. Well, now Vinny's left the podcast. Um, I would say uh, When a Stranger Calls used to be a movie where if people hadn't seen it, I would always bring that movie over for the second one. Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely a good gateway film if somebody's interested in uh, horror from that particular era with the late '70s and the early '80s and that boom. Just because it's very grounded, there isn't anything supernatural about it. It's just good old classic suspense and scares. Yeah. All right. Good times. Yeah. Well, why don't we roll on into the next film, Toddy? All right, rolling into 1993's When a Stranger Calls Back. Dun, dun, dun. Um, with uh, returning director Fred Walton, and also returning is Carol Kane and Charles Durning, and uh, uh, newcomer Jill Sholin, who by this point was definitely a Scream Queen uh, status. So, uh, And then um, I can't remember if this is one of the first ones Showtime did, but they were kind of on a rolling streak with uh, Psycho 4 and... Uh, a couple other really good, uh, like body bags. Uh, some great early '90s horror. Yeah, show yeah they, they had a good run. Good then they fucked up with birds too, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let me try. Let me take a look at my notes here, Trainer. Who wants? Anybody want to run the setup on this one? Yeah, yeah. It, we really don't need to even dwell on too much because it's it's almost like a generational approach to the classic tale that we had in the original. Uh, but we find that our original uh, victim and Carol Kane's character is reprised, but this time she is a therapist and helping someone, a younger girl who is going through the same thing is basically the events that lead to it. It's structured the same way, although the pacing is insanely better in this. Uh, you have the the cold open with the babysitter being terrorized, but we we kind of play on expectations uh, from the original film because uh, you assume most of the people watching this saw the original, but even if they didn't, it can stand on its own. But so you have uh, situations where we've got what we think are two people uh, terrorizing the babysitter at the house, uh, really screwing with her. She's thinking that she's hearing it from one side, but seeing a silhouette up by the door. Goddamn ventriloquist. Yeah, we've got all kinds of interesting aspects that let you know, like, we're not just going to do the exact same thing, but they don't go away from the formula that works because you basically have the same results, except this time a little less gruesome. I think the kids are missing as opposed to being ripped apart by bare hands. <laughs> um, and then we follow the girl post-attack and her um, experience, which I think is a much more interesting narrative than we had in the original film that we stay, we kind of get the, the best of both because we stay with her and her journey through that. And so she's continually being stalked. She has things being moved around in her apartment uh, that are, she's basically being driven insane by it. But we also get those great characters from the original and Durning and Kane uh, that are there to help her. And so the, the viewers have the same experience as the two returning characters to go with her. But it's, it's basically the same setup. It's I think um, go ahead, with the combination of part one and two, I kind of think that if you ask Kevin Williamson, 
where Scream came from. Because, uh, and, and this one, uh, the opening's very similar to the original, but, um, but the character's a lot smarter. So where instead of just saying, um, hey, you know, the phone's disconnected, she's like, hey, I called him. I called the, right. call the ride. You're definitely not getting in the house. Um, I don't know, she kind of did everything that you're supposed to do, uh, which added to the movie, too. Uh, Good boy. Especially when she comes back and uh, the phone number that she wrote down is gone. And she's kind of like, um, well, I don't know. Uh, there, th between the two, I definitely see a lot of Scream. Yeah. Or I guess these films might have ripped Scream off, just they did it ahead of time. <laughs> yes. Probably. Uh, I like that it's five years later and she grows a mullet and has the kids' PJs <laughs> in her closet. The worst hair. <laughs> like, hey, you guys live through that trauma and see what hair you end up with. <laughs> well, I probably ain't going to try to look like Joe from The Facts Alive. I was going to say, uh, this is the early 90s when you had traumatic things happen to you and you're a woman. You put on Katie Lang and you wore a mullet. And, uh, and that's what life was. <laughs> Doggies. All right, so uh, <laughs> oh shit, that is some bad haircut though. Yeah, awful, awful. <laughs> if I don't get my haircut in a week, that's what mine's gonna look like. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so yep, the uh, original sitter is back, and she's a psychologist now. And then the detective is back, uh, just trying to help close the case because he's got experience with this sort of thing. Uh, Still not able to run. run. The girl disappears. Yeah. Alakazam. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the strangest scene in all three films where the man is doing a ventriloquist act in blackface at a strip <laughs> club. Yeah, I said, is this Soul Man? <laughs> Uh, when, a that man, when a soul man comes back man that was a weird weird scene now see i didn't really think of it as blackface until you guys <laughs> just said that <laughs> well uh, no it, it so to be to be fair it uh he was just trying to be all black to hide himself as the ventriloquist but in this age by painting his face <laughs> flat black. Yes, it's but he was wearing he was wearing a black shirt, black pants. Uh, yes, not going to fly in a, a film today. <laughs> well, maybe this gives us our setting. So is this Canada then that he manages to not get his ass kicked within ten seconds of going out on stage? <laughs> oh man, it could have been like a like a Michael Richard show or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know if I go to a strip club, that's what I want to see. Yeah, I want to see a shitty ventriloquist. Yeah. So our girl gets shot in the head, right? Am I reading my notes yes. right? Yes. Well, she, she, uh, a bullet goes in her head. Yes, right. Right. And then he goes and beats up her body at the hospital. Which that scene is both 
sides of the coin terrifying. And why I say that is because we start off initially with kind of that classic Hitchcock approach of letting the audience know something that the person doesn't in the film. And so when Kane's character walks in to visit her, she doesn't realize that he's hiding in there. And so you already have that very uncomfortable, suspenseful scene. But then once she exits, the way they do that is just absolutely... I mean, really, the, the concept of that is terrifying. To think that when you're at your most vulnerable, unconscious in a hospital bed, that you've got somebody in there with nobody looking out for you able to do anything he wants to you and he proceeds to we later discover polaroids he's taken up her uh, breasts from lifting up her gown uh, but also proceeds to wail on her and the way that they do it it's not sensationalized um, it's very understated which makes it all the more upsetting to watch everything you just said is why i used to not sleep when we would go to conventions <laughs> <laughs> oh man so who wants to take us home bring us bring us in with the ending here well hope you're not going to skip my favorite part which is where he uh paints himself to look like her brick wall yes that's the ending. camouflages himself <laughs> which i'd like to do often uh you know to try to get what people's wallpaper look like and <laughs> paint myself up Trying to get a visualize of uh, Vinny's room back there so I can uh, right. make myself to look like that Boggy Creek poster. I've actually watched Hot Toddy removed from three different conventions for trying to blend in with the wall of, <laughs> of uh, Concourse B. Well, that one time he did it here, but he forgot to paint his crotch, and I thought there was a snake crawling up a wall. <laughs> yeah, no, don't, don't you remember me, uh, J.D. McNugent? I'm the one who painted the tux on my body. I spilled fruit punch myself. Everybody can see my dog. <laughs> That's how everybody knows it's not true. That's the first thing I paint. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so they find the intruder in Carol Kane's apartment painted like her brick wall, and does pa I can't, it's been weeks since I've watched it now. Did, does, does Pappy O'Dan shoot, her, shoot him <laughs> or did Carol Kane? Pappy. Pappy O'Dan did, okay. After he ran six blocks. <laughs> I think. Hell, I don't remember. I don't remember who shoots. But I will say this. That scared the daylights out of me when that aired. Because this was a big deal. I was allowed to watch this when this was brand new. And... I've always thought that was so cool. I'm curious, before we go any deeper on this or off the film, are what, what your guys' thoughts are on the ventriloquist trick that he's doing because we really didn't flesh that out. So the reason that at the beginning of the film, what we are led to believe is that the reason we have two people there is because it's actually one, and he is tricking his voice into making it sound like he is in different parts when he's not really there. And so in essence, he's sneaking around this house where she can visually see him, but he's also able to put his voice where it sounds like it's coming from a different angle. And so that's why we kind of have, that's how Durning catches on to him because he, he figures that the only way that Jill Sholin's character could have ran out into the people's arms and the people not have seen him was if he was doing some kind of trickery with his voice, which then leads him to the ventriloquist act. Do you guys, is that a little 
hard to believe because for me it is, but it doesn't matter because they execute it so entertainingly. If, if I had a was, dollar for every crime that was committed just like this. <laughs> if, if this were part of a Batman story, I would have no problem with it. But it's not a Batman story. Right. So it does make you roll your eyes a little bit. It's just not, there's not enough of an element of fantasy for me to feel like, all right, it's plausible. I can let this go. It's too rooted in real world for me to feel like this works. Yeah. But Jeff Dunham may yet prove us wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We're not. (laughs) Why didn't they get him for the remake? (laughs) If it were not a Batman story, at least a Dick Tracy story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is at the ending though, when he's talking in, in Carol Kane's apartment and she walks past and the frame doesn't move. And you're like, okay, they're getting ready to show me something. I don't really think anybody is fully expecting that. And when the eyes open, damn, that's good. I know it's coming. I've seen this movie probably five or six times now. And each time still, it's like, ooh, that's creepy. Yeah, again, a little fantastical for what the setting is. But at the same time, I appreciated it. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, no, no, didn't see that coming. Yeah, so it's like we get a little ridiculous with what the what we're suspending, you know, the disbelief on. But at least they go somewhere with it and make it worth the while. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, all in all, not a bad film. I, I, I think this movie stood out a little bit because, uh, again, this was uh, a few years pre-Scream. So at this point, not that this movie's a slasher movie, but uh, – Slasher movies were definitely long gone by the time this movie came out. Because even Freddy and Jason had been uh, uh, what seemed finally killed off by uh, shitty sequels. So um, no Halloween film, no nothing uh, during this time period. So I think they're about What thrilled me about it was that they did not bring back the same killer somehow. Yeah, I was so relieved that it was just a fresh killer and they didn't somehow try to bring, because the other one, again, so rooted in reality that I was like, man, they can't bring this guy back and act like he was somehow able to survive. So I was very glad they did that. I liked the character development that they did with Carol Kane. Kind of what we've seen happen with Laurie Strode since then in, in movies. But I like that, you know, she was... The victim who kind of went Sarah Connor afterwards and toughened yeah. up and all that kind of thing. I like that end of it. Well, and there's an element to it. I, I love movies like this where you get it revealed and then uh, if you were invested in the film enough, you kind of spend a little bit more time with it after it's ended. And I think the thing with this is so when she tries to kill herself, quote unquote, uh, we find the note under her bed that says, you know, like no power lights out or no phone lamps out. And we see that it's a switch that you could flip that off with, but then, you know, she, she knew what was up and left a note that she didn't do that. So between that and the history of things being moved around in her apartment, once we see him reveal his bag of tricks between being a, you know, the ventriloquist and the painting of the face and blending in and the measures he will go to, to terrorize someone, you now wonder 
how many times has she went to bed in that apartment with him standing there? Yeah. And it's, it's a really thoughtful approach to being extra creepy with a very basic concept. Word up. Uh, well, <laughs> food for thought. Uh, big hit. So the one thing I do want to mention before we move on is um, when Hot Toddy and I met Jill Sholin at a convention up at Cinema Wasteland in Cleveland, uh, you know, she's in the stepfather and popcorn. There's movies you can mention to her. This is the one I asked about because, like I said, I've always been fond of this one. And I was curious about Durning, and I just I thought it was neat that she had all kinds of warm stories about how he really took young performers in under his wing. There was no ego to him. I mean, this guy had been acting in films for decades as a World War II veteran, and then you got you know the youngster girl who he treated like an equal, which I I thought was a nice element to learn from her. He's trying to get them votes out on the campaign trail. <laughs> 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 Shake some hands, kiss some babies. He's got to beat all the states. All right. Well, uh, yeah. I think if you if you watch the first movie, you absolutely. Have to watch this movie. Oh yeah. yeah, you're you're not going to be disappointed at all if you like the first one. If you sit down and watch the second one, you're not gonna. You get more of the first one without it being cliche. Yeah. yeah. I prefer this one to the original, which I know some listeners may not agree with, but I just think it, it's a. It's basically the same director taking the same material with enough time and resources and just getting better at it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Rolling into the next film, the remake. Toddy, what do you got for us? When a Stranger Calls, 2006, starring Camilla Bell as Jill, uh, also starring Katie Cassidy, Tessa Thompson. Um, uh, Clark Gregg, and then uh, Tommy Flanagan, Flanagan as uh, the Stranger, and then Lance Henriksen as the voice of the Stranger, and then uh, directed by Simon West. Okay. Thank you. This film. Oh, I'm going to sneeze. Somebody take it. No, nope, he's going to let you sneeze on camera. <laughs> Here he goes. Oh, get it. You know what? You just sneezed over my. Entire thoughts for the film. I managed to miss it all. <laughs> okay. I, um, oh, are you coming back? Go for it. I thought you were getting ready to have a stroke. <laughs> um, I don't think this holds up to the original films at all, but I think this is one of the better PG-13 remakes of uh, that whole big shit storm of... Um, 80s horror that was remade into PG-13. Um, this one worked as a PG-13 film because when a stranger calls, they don't have to be blood and guts. Um, and essentially, uh, the remake, though, is uh, our same story about the young babysitter in a house. But um, I think uh, they actually just took the movie everyone expected of the original. And uh, this movie, the whole entire film, is her babysitting the children uh, and her being in the house by herself. So... Yeah, um, I think where they uh, the choice of the house is pretty cool because it's out in the middle of nowhere, and um, but I think it's a good movie. It's just not a great film, and it's just it's it still doesn't hold up to the original um, as well. But again, uh, way better than the fog and um, 
some of the other, um, I can't even think of some of the other crap that came out that time period, but. Prom Night. Yeah, Prom Night, good one. <laughs> good one to say, not good movie at all. Good one. Uh, Stepfather. So. Uh, Tommy, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I, I thought it was okay as a remake. I mean, I don't think it was a great movie by any means, but it's certainly not a remake of the first movie. It's just kind of a remake in title and spirit only. Um, so I didn't hate this film. I uh, go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead. Uh, I it is what I expected the original to be. It was that premise of sitters at home terrorized by guy. That is exactly what this one is. Um, so I guess I give credit for not trying to remake the original, which they never would have done because a younger audience would never have gone for that. No. They don't have the attention span. Um, and I'm, so I give them credit for not being a remake and kind of taking a different angle with it and doing that way. However, at the end of the day, I just kind of feel like it's a generic babysitters terrorized by intruder movie. I, I, it's, it's not real inspired. Um, it's not bad. You could have uh, movie and called it anything. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, I, this movie is completely forgettable to me. Uh, it, but at the same time, I do think it's important to, important to point out that this movie isn't for me. Now, if I am 14 years old, this is going to scare the shit out of me, and it's going to be fun with my friends to go see on Friday night. So I'm not going to be too hard on it. I think that it is a remake of the first act of the film, yes. the original. And I think that what made both the original and its sequel uh, memorable is that they had some moment, a gimmick, something where they thought outside of the box. This does not. This is straightforward. Um, and my main problem with a suspense thriller, uh, you know, and again, this is just as an older viewer who's watched more movies at this point, I need some lulls. I need some injection of humor or a break for those moments to be effective. And so by 40 minutes into this, I'm, it's the same thing nonstop. And it just, I'm it more one note. You, you are absolutely right. And there's just, there's nothing interesting about the killer or moments with him. It's just classic, you know, terrorizing somebody in the house. And so we've certainly covered much, much worse films on this. So I don't want to pile on it. It's just for me, I didn't need this remake. But if it made a new generation of film fans um, interested in the, in the classic story or maybe even a percentage of them go see the original films, then great. I'm all for it. Um, there were much worse remakes from that wave of films that I watched. As mentioned, The Fog is always one of the, the, the top of the heap for me in that category. But for me, this is just, it's a, a pretty forgettable film. But at the same time, for a younger person, it could be a really nice entry piece. Fair I, uh, I have to agree with everything you just said, actually. Yeah. I, uh, I couldn't remember if I own this movie or not. Because uh, I think I probably watched it once and uh, maybe twice. The answer is um, always yes, Todd. Well, I, you know <laughs> what? Uh, I don't own every movie. I can't find Jennifer's body. But uh, 
But yeah, so when a stranger calls, DVD was sitting on the shelf. Um, I think I found them free on Tubi or something like that. The first two. What the hell is Tubi? <laughs> it's, Tubi is one of those uh, streaming channels on like a smart TV or a Roku device. Is that a... Is that only porn, but only for uh, those that like <laughs> no. tube socks? No. <laughs> no. One of those free ones like Crackle. Yes. Yeah, it's like that. Um, I was just going to say, just looking over some of my notes, they use the same name, uh, same setup. Uh, it was interesting that the house had that, uh, I want to call it a zoo room, like in the middle. <laughs> it's like a... A g- indoor garden, and also like uh, they had animals in there, like birds and stuff. So that was interesting. I mean, obviously, you got to be Oprah rich to have a place like that. Because somewhere in the mid '90s, you know, liberal Hollywood started making us having homes that nobody can adapt with. I'm joking about the liberal part, uh, <laughs> but it's like we—that's one of the appeals, I think, especially with that original film—is it's just kind of a normal house. It's things that we can relate to when they're like in the greenhouse room and this i'm like huh what <laughs> i thought that i thought the ending of this movie was kind of played out yeah it's kind of an uninspired ending so the thing that they added was there was a guest house and that like maybe their son was going to be staying out there and there was like the appearance of a friend or two and then they got killed and body something like they, they added little bits along the way, but still nothing to make it more memorable. Like, I didn't remember I looked at my notes. So, um, you know, they, they tried to do some different things. Um, like, we, ha- we had to know why she's babysitting, because she ran out of cell phone minutes. Yeah, she's being punished. That's why she's babysitting. I, uh, I realized as you're talking that this movie couldn't be any more relatable. Uh, uh, like it, it took like two hours to drive her out to this house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, also I can't relate to a maid or a guest house or, uh, it's just like, you know what, let's, uh, fuck it. Relatability. How about, uh, this, this chick is going to come out and babysit Oprah and her kid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everyone will relate to it. You know, when I was a kid, if I ever got scared, I just run out to the guest house to see if one of my relatives was staying out there. <laughs> And by that, I mean the pop-up camper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if, if this is remade again, is it going to be uh, when a stranger zooms? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want a hillbilly version called When a Stranger Calls Y'all. <laughs> is that where they use turkey calls? <laughs> <laughs> when a stranger CBs. I want it was it was it was ripe for the picking to have a sequel called When a Stranger Calls Back Again. Yeah. <laughs> or when a stranger buys my premium Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh long story short, we get to the ending. There's a big showdown between the babysitter and the, the bad guy and they fight and tussle and run and hide all through this giant ass house and uh the cops come. Yeah. I think for the first time in cinematic history, a villain had his hand nailed to the floor. <laughs> Groundbreaking. <laughs> Again, not for me. I only, I only, it, it's just rather uninspired, but I understand, like you said, if I, if I 
take the time to consider that there are movie viewers that are, have not been exposed to everything that I have. And like you said, if you were 14 years old and watching this, be a different ball game. I also yeah. like to try to get deep, and it's got the, the cat catching the canary, and it's like a cat and canary <laughs> kind of story there. Ooh. Oh. Depth. It's pronounced dierte. Dierte. Even <laughs> <laughs> a strong there call. It was a smart business decision, though. With all of the properties just being cashed in at the box office, I don't fault them for making this. They, they could have made a much worse movie. Well, and it's not like they're remaking Gone with the Wind or The Wizard of Oz or something like that either. Yeah. Um, I kind of noticed everybody gets all up in arms, but especially at the time period, all the remakes were just slamming out. The best part about these remakes is uh, it usually brought movies that were hard to find onto DVD. So um, every time uh, one of these remakes is coming out, just made it a little bit easier to find the originals. So Yeah. I will say if uh, anybody's interested in the first two films, like they watch them streaming for free and want a nice copy, uh, Diabolic Video sells international stuff. And you can get a UK release from Second Sight that has both films on Blu-ray, and they look fantastic. That's not expensive. Uh, I just opened mine for this viewing, and can I tell you how upset I was that I was like, how come this is only one film? And I realized <laughs> so I opened it that the other movie's in there. It just... Uh, it's more marketed as the original. Yeah. You All win. right. We'll wrap it up. When a stranger calls. Uh, any final thoughts on the third film, or the remake, or, or anything overall? Uh, for like our diehard horror fans that are with us past this far into our episodes, I wouldn't recommend this to everybody. But if you got a young horror fan blossoming and interested. Wouldn't hurt to put this one on for that reason, but the first two I'd recommend to pretty much anybody. I do like that they cast uh, Lance Hendrickson as the telephone voice, and uh, uh, Camilla Bella or Camilla Bella or however you say her name. Uh, uh, she kind of has popped up in a lot of cool uh, roles and films, so I do like the the actress that was playing her. Um, I think um, which uh, I'm trying to think of the Tarantino Grindhouse one, uh, Death Proof. Um, so it was like a fun role with her in it. So, um, I definitely like the actress. So, uh, and like you said, this would probably be good if you're watching, uh, maybe somebody's kids that they've yelled at you before because you've showed them, uh, you know, <laughs> Debbie does Dallas that, uh, you can just pop this in and it's a little bit safer and, uh, PG 13. Hot baby. Note, note to self. Do not invite hot toddy to babysit your children. Yeah. <laughs> I was kidding about the porno. And, but some people get all up in arms when they come home and their kids watching dirty dancing. Get over yourself. <laughs> the children, they're with Hot Toddy. <laughs> all right. Well, another episode like the kids. of the Midwest Monsters podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, <laughs> Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Wash your hands and stay scary. Please wash your hands because I can't keep recording like this. Children. Wash your hands.